From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast, Friday edition. Na, 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 na. I have a question for you, Zach, production-wise. Lay it on me. So, like, when we're, like, letting that 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 sweet, sweet intro track just, like, run, am I talking right now over the intro music? Oh, yeah. The people are hearing oh, sweet. the uh, dulcet tones yeah. of Darby Seaside playing. I'm feeling it. I'm yep. feeling it. Anyway, so... So we had a, a fun. We did a really fun package this entire week here at Vine Pair uh-huh. called "Drinking on Screen," uh, where we publish a bunch of articles all around like, the movies and alcohol. And yeah. I mean, obviously, that's not a coincidence uh, that the Oscars are this Sunday. But if you want to check out the entire package, you just have to go to the uh, the homepage, and there's a, a huge box that says drinking on screen you click on the box on the homepage that says drinking on screen you can see all the amazing articles we published this week um but we thought you know that you and i were getting left out of this conversation (laughs) because neither you or i wrote a piece for drinking on screen so we want to have a conversation instead and and it actually is you know just a great coincidence that a reader no sorry a listener i keep saying reader man i apologize to you listeners but i hope you read as well um wrote in with a question about drinking on screen. So, Zach, you want to you wanna give us the prompts and we can go from there? Absolutely, yeah. So thanks to Stephen for writing in uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, giving us just the perfect amount of lead time to set this up. Appreciate it. And as always, uh, if you guys have questions or topics you'd be interested in our take on, it's podcast at vinepair.com. And he basically asked, you know, um, you know, when you're watching TV and movies and stuff like that, there's that I, somewhat iconic, almost tropey scene of one of the characters, you know, maybe they're in their office or something like that. And they grab the, you know, crystal decanter of with something, you know, kind of whiskey hued in it, pour themselves yep. some, maybe a glass for someone else. And it's just kind of part of, I don't know, office life or like, uh, you know, <laughs> we're just, uh, it's just, it's just how we do it. We just drinking whiskey meat at one on a Wednesday. And his prompt is sort of like, he says, like, I've never seen this happen in real life. And he's like, you know, even if I was preparing a drink for someone, especially in like a business setting, you never just assume that they want just kind of whiskey neat. And then the the real prompt, and I think this is the thing to get into, is what is it that this whole scene is supposed to communicate to us, the audience, right? What are What is the show trying to tell us or the movie trying to tell us about those characters, the situation, something, right? And to me, that's, I think, the most interesting part of this. Because I think, yeah. I agree, I, that's not something that I've seen done in real life. I mean, I haven't gone to a lot of high-powered meetings. You have definitely been to many more than I have, Adam. So maybe this is commonplace in the uh, high-powered publishing world of New York City. You can you can let me know in a moment. But I will also say that um, I would fell victim to this in a way when I was in my 20s and like was like, oh, I'm going to buy some decanters. I'm going to put whiskey in it. It's going to look cool. And it looked cool, but it is not great for the whiskey, as it turns out. Like, I don't think I think it's too much light exposure. It's just like not the ideal vessel other than, yeah, it definitely looks cool. But if you want to enjoy your spirit, I don't think it's really how I would store it in in the decanter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I think, first of all, just anecdotally, uh, I had a decanter when I was like 22 to 25 because of this exact example, I was like, "Oh, I'm so sophisticated," <laughs> and yep. I would like transfer uh, what I thought at the time. You know what's really funny? Is I was actually talking about this today at lunch. Um, so when I first moved to New York, I so maybe it was when I was like 25 instead, not 22. I wasn't I wasn't there yet. When I was 25, um, I had moved to the East Village, and I was about to move in with Naomi because we got engaged when I was 26. So. Um, I moved to the East Village, and uh, this 
restaurant had just opened in the East Village called Back 40. Okay. Uh, and it was this like farm to table restaurant and the chef is famous, but I forget his name. So my apologies <laughs> come at me. And I was at the bar one night cause we'd heard about how cool the restaurant was, but we couldn't afford the restaurants. So we're like, let's go have drinks. And this, uh, bartender, it was like one of the first bars in the East Village to have a very deep bourbon collection. It was like the beginning of the tater movement. Okay. And, so they have this like deep bourbon collection and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, let's try some bourbons. And they turned me on to this bourbon at the time. They're like, this is the best value bourbon on the market. You should totally buy it. We only have it for, uh, they're doing it for like $8 a glass or something. Okay. And all I knew at the time was like, you know, I'd heard of Pappy, but like, you know, this was an $8 glass of bourbon. And like, I think you can get it at this place called Broadway Wine and Spirits for like, 25 or $30 a bottle. I was like, oh, I'm going to go get this bottle of bourbon. But I thought that I was being cheap by getting this bourbon. It was really good. I really liked it. It was a weeded bourbon. Um, but I was like, oh, it's so cheap. I'm going to put it in a decanter on, you know, on top of my, like, bookshelf so that no one knows that I'm the cheap dude that buys this bourbon because, like, I don't want anyone to know, right? Like, I should probably be buying something fancier. The bourbon was W.L. Weller. <laughs> And and I used to hide that I was buying it and put it into a decanter because it was only $30. Um, But I, you know, I think that the the thing that's so funny about this depiction is I've never had this happen to me in life. I've never been anywhere. The only place that I think I've ever been offered a drink in a work setting that's not vine pair at the end of the day when we like host someone in the office at our bar or maybe we have like bottles left over from a tasting that happened during the day and like people can sample them at 530 is like maybe I'm trying. I think I think, yes, after the closing of my apartment on my apartment, like our real estate agent took us out to a drink. Mm-hmm. But like I've never been somewhere where they've been like, oh, let's bring out the McAllen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, put glasses on the table. I've never been in a meeting where they're like, oh, we got it, you know. Like, but that happens so often in movies and TV. I think they they act like people drink all the time in work at work, and like I think even at the height of like, I mean, we're we're we're, we're trying to workshop an idea here at, at Vine Pair that if you have any thoughts on this, hit us up at podcastvinepair.com. We're we're working on a a story we're trying to get there about sort of like Silicon Valley's war on alcohol, which is very, is very clearly happening. I think if you're paying attention to all of the news right now and sort of all of these very famous VCs who are all of a sudden saying that they're going sober, it's, it's a very much a Silicon Valley phenomenon. Um, but they definitely like have this weird war on alcohol. Now there's this like sort of pseudoscience podcast bro who happens to be a real scientist with a sleep lab. I think at Stanford, who he's kind of like a Joe Rogan esque character, but he has like one of the most listened to by Silicon Valley bros podcasts of the last year where all it is is like anti-alcohol and how alcohol is the worst thing for you ever. But he's a huge fan of like ketamine and like psilocybin and stuff. So again, a lot of pseudoscience, like he has this belief that like, if you can, if you change the way you're breathing, you'll like you'll sleep better, and that you can change the way you're breathing for your gut biome. Fucking crazy shit. But prior to all of this, them being anti-alcohol people, Silicon Valley was like one of the 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 largest embracers of alcohol culture in the office. Right, that was like the whole the WeWork time when there were kegs at every WeWork, and the, like the idea was like everyone was drinking. And even then, I don't think that there was drinking at work 
at the level that you see it depicted in movies, mm-hmm. right? Like it just never, like I don't ever remember sitting down with Josh, even like a, the year before we created Vimeo, be like, you know what? Let's hash this out over a glass of whiskey neat at 1 p.m. Yeah. And I think it is because it, it happened so much because it is the easiest to shoot as, as our listener sort of suggests in, in their email. Like it's very easy to put tea or apple juice or whatever into decanter and make us think it looks like spirit and let the drinker drink it. I also, but like the other thing I think is, is very rare is how often have you ever seen in real life, Zach, a person throw back a glass of whiskey like you see so often in the movies as well, right? Yeah. Like the like okay, a shot. We're not talking about shots. You almost you don't unless it's like a party movie. Like we're we're talking you know super bad or whatever. You don't see shot culture in movies, but you see so often that like glass of bourbon poured and then it just slugged back. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I don't so, know anyone that does that. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. For one, I don't think so. I mean, I I would like to add here an additional like trope that I don't like that is, but is is endemic also, and I think has actually come up on this podcast before, at least obliquely, which is the like, you know, I'll take uh, as movie as movie characters often are like, I'll take like three fingers of whiskey and leave the bottle, and they're just like sitting there just drinking straight from the bottle at the bar. Which again, I don't know that there's basically any bars that would ever do that. That's not how drinking at bars works typically. But in this example, I I think it's fascinating to think about what they are trying to convey. I agree with you and with our listener that part of the reason this became sort of a part of the, the visual lexicon of film is that it is easy to shoot. Um, You know, you're not, if you want to convey a degree of, you want to convey something, it's a lot easier to have the decanter and have the actors pour purported whiskey into a glass and it is to have them you know open a fine bottle of sparkling wine or you know or bordeaux or something and you know whatever just like that is both a busier act on screen and just a lot harder to set up and shoot and reshoot etc etc so there's there's a simple reason that's i think a filmmaking reason a, a tv making reason that explains it but i think there's also this element of like we especially historically you think of someone who drinks spirit meat as being like both maybe a little bit like maybe an alcoholic in some of these contexts, oh, yeah. but also like they're just like they're maximally adult, right? Like it is the most adult way to drink as is as is sort of commonly understood, right? Like I don't need water. I don't need ice. Mm-hmm. I don't need a mixer. Just give me, you know, 100 proof spirit straight to the face. And like, yeah, like leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think there's a reason that we you see it, you know, it's often you know, it's traditionally, it's often men in a business setting. And it's kind of a like, it's a macho manly, I'm like, I know what I don't need. Yeah, get out of here with your, you know, frozen water and all that bullshit. (laughs) Like, just give me, give me this, you know, is this the strongest you got? Like, come on. And I think that it becomes a convenient shorthand for that kind of character or that way we're supposed to interpret a scenario. And I also think the other thing is like, I agree with you that I don't think most business dealings ever were as booze soaked as they are portrayed. I mean, I think Mad Men is a great example of, I'm not sure if that's really what the ad industry was like. I I think probably there was obviously plenty of drinking and lots of other bad behavior, I'm sure. But, but the way in which it became sort of, uh, again, a sort of signifier for the characters on there of, of their, of their character about, you know, of, about what they were, 
intending to represent that it it has you know trickled back into mainstream consciousness because of that show and of course again it predates that and it has come since i just it's weird to me that that still carries through right that we still look at the person sitting there drinking whiskey neat and think like oh my god that person is just like so grown up yeah i think that's true i think there's this belief that like there's some sort of air of sophistication and being of a certain age that you can like handle your spirits neat i will i will say though that you're you sort of are seeing this you know be mimicked in real life in the sort of taters embrace of, you know, higher and higher and higher alcohol mm-hmm. bourbon, where it's like, give me as strong as possible. I got to put that hair on my chest, bro. I definitely think that that is something that you see once in a while. And, and that that is what's supposed to sort of connote that you are someone who can actually appreciate real bourbon, mm-hmm. whatever real bourbon means. And I think that that is what we're trying to do in a lot of these shows. And you see this a lot in, in shows like Yellowstone. Right where yeah. I've only watched the first season of Yellowstone, it wasn't really for me. Um, but where they they you know it is that straight whiskey all the time. I think also the drinking from the bottle. Uh huh. You see a lot more. I mean, have you ever taken a swig from a bottle? I never in life have been like I'm going to swig from the bottle. I mean, look, I'm also not a natty bro, so I never you know took swigs of wine from the bottle either, like the natties did. But like at least on Instagram, but like. <laughs> It's just, it's just it was it's it always to me it was like a thing that was like trashy, yeah. And I think that and that and that is what I think they are trying to show it, when they do that in movies and TV is that that is that trashy. That's that is again that sort of like we're trying to display this person as a dependence on a substance, yeah. and it's such a dependence that they 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 don't even look for the glass or they are so uh, stressed or. You know, distraught, et cetera, they need the the drink directly from the bottle because they just they can't waste the time it takes to pour from into the glass. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting how like spirits step in so much in movies to tell us more about the character. Uh-huh. Right? To give us a little bit of, of a glimpse into what the character could be going through in a way that, you know, doesn't happen as often when they're just drinking water or, you know, get, oh man, that guy really worked out, I guess. That's a lot of water they're drinking. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's basically all you learn. Whereas with spirits, you learn all these things you're talking about, whether they're sophisticated, whether they're, they are, you know, more quote unquote manly, whether they are someone who has addiction issues or are depressed or are super stressed. And so they need these things. And the other thing that the movies show, the one thing I think the movie shows really well with alcohol though is, our quest for it even when we aren't legally able to drink it. Hmm. I, I think that the movies does a very good job and has for generations of showing, you know, young people's desire to consume something that is prohibited to consume. Yeah. And but I, I think you can't do that with any other substance, really. I mean, pot, sure, there's like very iconic, you know, cannabis movies. You would never, you can't show that anymore with cigarettes because we know all of the things that cigarettes really do. Although they, people still do show that a little bit, right? It's like rebellion, yeah. but nothing kind of displays youth and and an experience that we all have, like being in high school and trying to drink for the first time. Yeah, but I think there it's it's again it kind of ties back into this question into this theme, which is what those movies are really about is these characters yeah. attempt to you know, transition into adulthood and drinking is just one of the 
big cultural signifiers in our culture that delim- that sort of is a clear distinction between yep. children or minors or even if you're not legally a minor, you know, in the United States, if the drinking age is 21 and you're sort of a legal adult at 18, it's still like a, a big barrier and and not just in terms of your ability to purchase alcohol legally but again you know as you were talking about the way that drinking is portrayed based on the the age of the characters it would be extremely weird to watch a a high school you know sort of party movie where everyone was like sitting around sipping scotch i mean yeah it'd be kind of funny in a way like there's a part of me that wonders you know i was thinking about this in a moment ago whether some of these sort of movie tropes are failing and tv tropes are failing to live not live up to failing to keep up with the evolving mm-hmm. drinks culture, right? You know, in the in the same way that a movie that ten or fifteen years ago would have centered around the main characters in a high school kind of party movie trying to get beer, probably now they're trying to get seltzer or something like that. Yeah. Maybe there would be a weird like level of connoisseurship because it's become more broadly culturally kind of recognized and accepted that you know maybe there's the kid in the group who really is like you know he maybe one of his parents is a tater and he's like gets in trouble because he opens the bottle of uh really you know fancy whiskey i, I, I feel like are we writing a script here uh you know any any hollywood folks want to get in touch with us it's podcast at finepair.com we're very available but yeah i think i think it's interesting to think about the ways in which those the tv and movies influence culture by sort of showing a mass audience this image or these images or these sort of scenes and then you and i both internalize the like oh whiskey out of a decanter is fucking cool and that's what an adult does and both did this individually and yet also movies and and tv need to reflect what is going on in culture lest they seem completely out of touch and i think this is a scene that maybe we're talking feels more and more out of touch with how people drink both because that's not how business is conducted if you're familiar with it for the most part and also because you know drinking and and connoisseurship has changed and while of course there are still lots of people who swear by and enjoy spirit neat i think now you would be much you know it would better behoove a uh, a show that's trying to say some of the same things about their character that you know sophistication you know they should show you the labels right it should be a bottle of Pappy, or it should be a bottle of Weller or something, you know, they can get even, you know, geekier should they care to. And that's going to be the thing that's going to, for the people who are interested in what that signifies, you know, the mm-hmm. average person watching is just be like, oh, they're drinking whiskey. Cool. And the right. people who are into it are going to be like, oh, they really did their research, right? We love to sort of see that. It's fun, uh, you know, in the same way that any show that portrays drinking and, and can get the details right is going to have a degree of you know, verisimilitude and cachet with the with the drinking public that a show that just kind of was like, oh, I don't know, it looks, it's brown, it's they're they're drinking it. What do you want? They're grown ups. I do think you are seeing that more. Uh, but first of all, just an anecdote, like so I sort of an idea came to my mind while you're talking, which was like, could you imagine if all of a sudden Silicon Valley wins its war on alcohol and uh, the way that we're like, we're going to show that people are trying to like move from adulthood from childhood to adulthood is like they're just trying to figure out how to illegally vote anyway <laughs> that's the only other, you know like what, what else would it be like it's you know getting your car at 16 in a majority of states and 18 others that's really it and drinking i think i think that point is very true and why we see it so often in in all of these movies and tv i do think you know there was that conversation that happened a lot online recently about how well, that the show The Last of Us nailed wine in mm-hmm. in episode three, where it really 
It did not shy away from showing the wine labels. I mean, Camus was featured in it. Jadot was featured in it. Um, there was uh, there was uh, there was like another Burgundy that was featured, in it, but very much clearly showing the labels, mm-hmm. right? Because this was supposed to be a individual, this character who had a true appreciation for food and beverage. So they would not have, you know, had just like anything lying around. If they, when they were raiding, they would have they would have gone for the good stuff. Yeah, and I think that is really you know. A way that again you you project who this person is, and you you tell without telling, and that's something that alcohol has this really beautiful ability to do that other things don't. I think you know the way alcohol is just as integral when it when it's brought into uh, movies and TV to a character's development as their clothing is, as their car is, as their you know what we see in their homes. It is part of that broader picture of them as a person mm-hmm. that you know other things are not as much right like we just tells you they're a stoner yeah right but like it doesn't tell you what kind of stoner. okay they're a stoner or they yeah. like to smoke weed but you don't know like are they a sophisticated stoner are they a deadhead stoner like you only know that if they're smoking weed and you know there's there's also grateful dead paraphernalia everywhere exactly. right you but you know what kind of person someone is based on the alcohol they are now that we're starting to show that more right you know this person as you said is a actual whiskey aficionado by the kind of whiskey they are drinking or wine aficionado by the kind of wine they are drinking or if they are just an alcoholic because they are drinking uh i don't know everclear out of the bottle yeah you know on a beach somewhere yeah i couldn't escape the thought of you know if we get to the point some number of years down the road where uh like marijuana consumption is no- more normalized and and there are you could see in the same way that we look at someone drinking a beer versus someone drinking wine versus drinking whiskey versus drinking a martini or whatever as like those are very different kinds of drinkers if like they w- it wouldn't be about just like the sort of uh attendant lifestyle of like the yeah. what jam band you listen to but like the strain or or way you consume cannabis being like a tell for the character in a way that isn't so kind of heavy handed the way it often is now, like, and, or just so, you know, in the same way that we would think it weird if movies today portrayed anyone who drinks alcohol as being basically one kind of character in the way that kind of people who traditionally have been, you know, smoked pot or whatever on, on screen have all Mm -hmm. kind of been one, you basically been, you know, one version of stoner kind of archetype or another. So I don't know. Alcohol has obviously the, benefit of having been legal for much longer and also just having a broader kind of social cachet and uh, understanding of what the, yeah, these different types of drinks say about a character. So it's, it's still, Absolutely. it's still definitely a useful shorthand for, you know, f- filmmakers, for TV shows, for writers, et cetera, to say something about a character without having to just sort of lay it out for you explicitly. Well, I, I mean, you know, before we go, mm-hmm. what I'd like to ask you and ask the rest of our listenership here is uh, hitting us up at podcast.com. If you had to pick, what do you think is either, what is your favorite or what do you think is one of the better depictions of alcohol on screen? The depiction that immediately comes to mind and everyone's going to have their own. And, and we actually did for those listening uh, an episode about this last year where we kind of you, Joanna and I ran through yeah. some of our favorites on screen. So I'm not going to try and recreate too much of that um, because no. it was such a fun conversation and there are so many great ones and, and more and more, as you pointed out with like the last of us, just, it becomes yeah. a, a bigger and bigger thing. I will say that one of my favorite scenes, cause it's just so kind of cool is uh, in the show, the expanse, which is a sci-fi show and I won't get too deep into the plot because this, this plot point happens relatively late on, but there is a very uh, 
sort of highly coveted bottle of tequila, which is like done Julio 1942-ish, but like, you know, not exactly. Um, and there's this whole back and forth with two of the characters tasting it and then like basically sort of negotiating over who gets the rest of the bottle. And then uh, eventually uh, unfortunate things happen to the bottle meets an untimely end. I don't think that's too big a spoiler, but it just was like the way in which even in literally in space uh, this and in the future, this whole kind of connection to, to these spirits kind of carried forward, at least in this imagined future. So that was fun for me. I, I enjoyed the little, as someone who likes sci-fi and also obviously likes spirits and, and drinking generally, it was a fun little bit for me to enjoy as like a, oh yeah, these, th- this guy is, he's kind of a, whatever the tequila equivalent of an, of a, a tater is like 400 years in the future. I love it. Uh, yeah. I think for me, obviously I thought, I thought that the last of us did it very well recently uh, as we've mentioned, but I think one of the shows that it fell off towards the end, but I think was very brilliant in terms of seeing something happening way before it was actually to the level that it is now in terms of wealthy people and celebrities pouring in was Silicon Valley and the creation of their one character, this this very wealthy, we're supposed to be billionaire tech founder and his creation of a tequila called Trace Comas mm-hmm. or, or Three Comas. <laughs> and, you know, right after that, fucking Elon creates a Tesla tequila and, you know, you have all these other people who are like, we're going to all have tequilas. And this was much, much prior to that. I mean, the show's been off the air now for at least a few years. Uh-huh. And... I was just like, wow, yet again, you know, Mike Judge is very smart. <laughs> this, yeah. was a, this was just seeing where everything was going and already understanding that, like, tequila was having this massive moment with wealthy people where they all thought they should own one and that the one that they owned should have something to do with their personality. So, of course, a billionaire names their tequila after the three commas <laughs> because they're yeah. a billionaire but tries to make it sound Spanish. Yep. Just so good. So, yeah, let us know what you think. Podcast at VinePair.com. Uh, have a great weekend. And, uh, Zach, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair podcast network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.